Well, good morning. Welcome to Zion Lutheran Church on this beautiful morning. Uh, several things to share with you here before we begin our worship this morning. First, a quick note on the service. So the last hymn might be unfamiliar to some. It is a classic Lutheran hymn from Finland. It's been in our hymnals for, for a century, but might be new. Uh, so as we get to it, Amanda will play through it once and then we'll sing it, but I encourage you to, uh, to do your best with it as we get to it. Uh, quick reminder that on September the 11th, here in a couple weeks, there will be a congregational meeting following worship to vote on calling a pastor. Uh, you can talk to Steve if you have any particular questions about that process. Uh, or anything you want to talk about with the meeting, you can address questions to Steve. Also a reminder, on that Sunday, the 11th, will be our first Sunday of Sunday School Confirmation. Uh, very much looking forward to Sunday School this year, so please, if you're able, consider coming. Um, I think it's, it's going to be an edifying year of Sunday School. Uh, a few prayer requests this morning. First, I'd ask you to keep Dave Schmidt and his family in your prayers as his mother, Jean, passed away Friday afternoon. Uh, funeral arrangements are still in process, uh, but keep him in your prayers as they mourn uh, their loss. Also, please keep in your prayers Steve's daughter, Nancy. Uh, Nancy has been undergoing radiation treatment for cancer. Uh, however, on Thursday, they're going to put a port in for chemo, and she'll begin chemo treatments this week. So please keep her in your prayers as well. Are there are other announcements or other prayer requests for the congregation this morning. All right, I'll invite you then to take a few moments to quiet your hearts and quiet your minds as we listen to the prelude and prepare to worship. Thank you. 
congregation, I invite you to stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin. mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for you. And for his sake, God forgives you all your sins. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, he gives the power to become the children of God and bestows on them the Holy Spirit. Amen.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And also with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house, and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Amen. Glory to God in the highest and peace to God's people on earth. God, you resist those who are proud and give grace to those who are humble. Give us the humility of your Son, that we may embody the generosity of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. A reading from Proverbs. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, and to be put lower in the presence of a noble. The word of the Lord. Be to God. Our psalm today is Psalm 112, which we'll read responsively. Alleluia. Happy are those who fear the Lord and have great delight in God's commandments. Wealth and riches will be in their house, and their righteousness will last forever. It is good for them to be generous in lending and to manage their affairs with justice. They will not be afraid of any ru evil rumors. Their heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their heart is established and will not shrink until they have given freely to the poor, and their righteousness stands fast forever. 
they will hold up their head with honor. A reading from Hebrews. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them, those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let marriage be held in honor by all, and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled, for God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Through him, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Do not delect, neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The word of the Lord. Gospel according to St. Luke. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of the leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, Give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would re be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise I invite you to be seated. Children, I invite you forward. I'm wondering if, off the top of your head, if you can think of any table manners. 
how should you behave, or how are you expected to behave, when you're sitting at a table and eating a meal with others? Can you think of anything that you're supposed to do or not supposed to do? Right, chew with your mouth open is a big one, right? Can you think of anything else that you shouldn't do? I bet you can, you're probably embarrassed to say it, right? We don't burp at the table, right? Uh, that's not good. Uh, other like really basic ones, like you probably shouldn't like lick your fingers at the table, stuff like that, right? If you cough at the table, you could turn away and cough into your arm, don't like cough on people's food, right? Stuff like that. I hope you guys know that. We try to teach you that kind of stuff. But, uh, but I have a list here of maybe table manners. Maybe you don't think about, but are out there. Right, so if you have a fancy dinner with someone, these are some things you should know, right? That as soon as you sit down, you should put your napkin in your lap. Do you do that? No, all right. Uh, when you're eating, you should remember that your fork is on the left side of the plate and your knife and spoon is in the right. Did you know that? Alice knew that. Uh, you're supposed to wait until everyone is served before you start eating. Do you always do that? <laughs> yeah, I know someone who doesn't do that. <laughs> um, this is interesting. If you're passing food around the table, you should always pass it counterclockwise or to the right. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Um, you should pace your eating speed so that you finish at the same time as your guest. All right. Um, bread is eaten by tearing off a little piece and then eating that one piece. Right. You shouldn't take a big roll and bite into it at the table. Did you know that? Yeah. Um, here's a good one. Don't eat your ice. If you have ice water or something, you shouldn't eat your ice at the table. Uh, yeah, if you're eating soup or something with a spoon, your spoon is supposed to go away from you, right? You're not supposed to shovel it in. <laughs> All right, well, those are some, some table manners that maybe we do or don't do, or maybe we should do. But in our gospel lesson, I think Jesus gives us a couple of new kinds of table manners, or right, ways that we should think about how we eat with others, how we approach others. Because the first thing he says is that if you're invited to like a dinner party, you should take the least important seat, or you should take the worst seat and let somebody else have the better seat. But then he says, if you have a dinner party, you shouldn't just invite your friends, you shouldn't invite people you're supposed to invite that will make you look good, but you should invite those who are poor, those who are lame, those who are blind, those who usually don't get invitations and those who can't repay you. And what Jesus is saying is that in his kingdom, the world one runs a little bit differently. Things run on compassion in his kingdom. It's not about making yourself look good. It's not about putting yourself out as the best, right? But it's about being compassionate to others, about doing good for others, even though they can't repay you about letting others have the best seat, right? That's what Christ himself came to do. Christ 
who was the creator of all the universe, came and gave up his seed in glory so that you could be saved. And so Christ himself does that for us. And that's what the gospel is, that Christ does that for us. Let me pray for you. Lord, as you have shown us humility by your life and your death, help us, Lord, also to be humble. Help us to be compassionate and friendly and kind to those who otherwise don't see compassion in their lives. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I was thinking this week about a great algebra teacher that I had in high school. I always liked him. I thought he gave the clearest explanations. He gave the most helpful assignments. And he was the first math teacher, and probably the only math teacher, to be honest, who made me really enjoy studying math. However, he had a classroom practice that made him really unliked in my school, and it made him notorious. After each math test that we took in his class, he would rearrange the seating chart based on the grade that you got in that test. Right, so students who failed the test were put up into the front row, average students with B's and C's were in the middle, and then A students were in the back row. And he never announced what he was doing. He never like, tried to overtly shame anyone. But students picked up on it and pieced it together pretty quickly. And they saw how the seating charts were arranged in the classroom. And so in that class, for many students, their seats became something of an obsession. They would study. They would pay attention. They would work hard because they did not want to be seen sitting with the bad students. They themselves didn't want to be seen as a bad student. They didn't want their identity to become smart kid, dumb kid, whatever. They wanted to be a kid in algebra. And so for these kids, algebra became a game of being seen as smart. It really had nothing to do with learning, though maybe some of them learned by accident. The whole class became about getting the right seat in the seating chart. And so I share this to make a connection with our gospel reading this morning. In Jesus' day, your public persona was tied up into a very clear black and white honor and shame society. And so what this meant was that for your social life and for your reputation and your family's reputation, you were always trying to build up honor for yourself. And it was of paramount importance that you avoided shaming yourself. And so public dinners like feast or wedding feast were opportunities for one to display one's honor on the social scale. If you were the guest of an important feast and you were seated next to the host, well, that's a big plus for you because that's the seat of honor. And if you were hosting a dinner and if you were to put a wealthy, well-connected person in a seat far away from you as the host, then it's a slap in the face to that person. You're shaming them. You're making a public statement about what you think about them and their honor. And on top of all of this, in that society, reciprocity was of the utmost importance. Of every gift, every favor had to be repaid. It would be shameful for you not to repay someone's generosity. For example, an invitation to a feast required 
that you planned to hold your own feast so that you could invite that person who invited you back. Every gift had a string attached. Every gift expected a return. Well, that's not really too different from the political reality we live in if we think about it. Right? Large political donations are made not as free gifts, but that because donors expect something in return. Right? They expect access to a politician or influence or some say on legislation, something like that. And that's really how things worked in the ancient world, except even on the most minute level, even among your neighbors, those in your community. And so society was a constant kind of game. How might you honor someone for your benefit? How might you yourself move up in the honor scale and up society's ladder? Who should you invite to dinner? Who should you send a Christmas card to and so on? Every public social interaction was carefully curated with the hope that you would get some kind of benefit out of it. But all of Jesus' life and ministry is subversive to this system. Jesus offers a different way to see the world. Jesus teaches us to see life not through a system of this for that. Instead, he invites us to see life through the lens of our future. He says that for whatever we do, we will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. In other words, the whole worldly game of trying to climb a social ladder is just peanuts compared to what is coming to us in eternity. And if that is true then, we have the opportunity to live completely different kinds of lives now. So Jesus illustrates this for us in two parables. First, he offers us a parable in which we are the guest and we're invited to a party. And he says, imagine you're trying to claim honor and you sit at the best seat at a wedding party and then someone better walks into the party. You're then removed from the seat of honor and you're put in the lowest seat and you have been shamed in front of, in front of everyone. And his point here is more than just practical etiquette. It's more than just advice about how to get ahead in life or how not to get behind. But it's a reminder instead that it's often the case that the attempt to climb the ladder of success is often a climb that will end in our shame. When you have to inflate yourself to the world, when you have a big ego, when you constantly take from others or befriend others in order for you to get ahead, you might sometimes look good to the world. Spiritually, however, you've brought shame to yourself. Jesus also then speaks to those of us who would act as hosts. He tells us not to worry about inviting guests who will bring us honor. Instead, he says to invite people who could never repay us anything. He says to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Inviting such people will never help you advance in social circles. You will not receive any financial benefit from these people. They will not give you access to power. There's no benefit in inviting them on worldly terms. So why invite such people to the party? Why give up your seat of honor to someone else? Why opt out of the social game altogether? Because Jesus says it frees you. It frees you to live a life that is not framed by progress, but by compassion. The kingdom of God given to us in the person of Christ is defined by compassion. It's about grace. I had a professor who said the best definition of grace in the New Testament is not simply a free gift. Because so often in our worldly thinking, 
Free gifts come with strings attached. Grace, instead, is that which breaks through reciprocity. It breaks through this for that thinking. Grace gives to the other simply out of a desire to give. It doesn't expect a favorable return. It doesn't even expect a thank you. Grace is to give for the sake of giving. Grace is to live in order to want good for someone else. Mercy is to allow someone to be free from the consequences they deserve. And so the kingdom of God is founded on that principle. As Christians, we live in view of God's grace. We know that God has claimed us. We know that God will raise us up from the grave on the last day. And we know that God has promised us an eternal life abounding in his goodness. Right? And none of that, God does not expect a return. He doesn't expect repayment. He has given to us out of the sake of his love, out of the sake to giving for our good. And so because we live in that grace, there's no need to get caught up in the games of this world. We can be compassionate for the sake of being compassionate. We can be gracious to others for the sake of being gracious. And in the end, why do we need to care about what the world wants from us? Why do we need to care precisely about what our reputation is in all circumstances? Let us be compassionate for the sake of being compassionate. Philip Yancey, who wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace, writes, the French philosopher Simone Weil wrote a book called Gravity and Grace, which describes two different ways of approach. The world runs by rules like gravity. As Isaac Newton studied the universe, he came up with fixed rules, like every action deserves an equal and opposite reaction. And so much in our life runs on that. Athletics runs that way. The economy runs that way, and so do politics, right? Stop making your car or house payments, and the bank will take them back. Bomb a country, and they'll bomb you back. But against that pattern comes a different pattern. From God, we deserve anger, but we get love. We deserve punishment, but we get forgiveness. Right? And there's something to that. So much of our world, so much of our day-to-day -day life runs on the gravity of ungrace. For most part, our lives run on payment, getting what we deserve. However, Jesus invites us to see the world in a new light. He invites us to see the light of grace breaking through all of that gravity of ungrace. And that's the true way we can begin to understand these parables that Jesus tells us. They're not strategies to get what you want. Instead, the parables themselves are pictures of who God is for us in the person of Christ. Jesus is the one who took the worst seat in order to give us a seat of honor. He is the one, although through him all of creation came into being, set aside his glory to become a baby born in a barn. He gave up the rightful, luxurious crib that he deserved to be placed in a dirty manger. He lived an unassuming, humble life in Galilee, in the middle of nowhere. He calls 12 ordinary fishermen to be his disciples. And he is the one who takes on a humiliating death that he did not deserve. And he does all of this in order to secure salvation for us. And he pours himself out for us knowing that there's no repayment coming. Because what money what act of service, what sacrifice could we ever make? What could we ever give back to Christ 
for return of our souls. There's only grace. That's our only hope. Jesus, then, is the one who invites people to his table who will never repay him. He is the one who puts us in seats of honor through what he has done. We are rewarded with what we could never deserve. The fruit of the Christian life, then, is that we can ourselves begin to break out of the society's law of ungrace, of this for that. Our security, our identity, comes not from this world, but from the one who died for us. We, then, have the freedom to live out that compassion. There's nothing preventing us from loving for the sake of others, nor is there anything preventing us from inviting others to our tables out of compassion. And because of what Christ has done for us, our worlds are full of unlimited opportunities to show that compassion. Amen. confess our faith using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living.
Let us pray for the whole Church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Heavenly Father, through the humility of your Son, you have called us to a place at your table. Teach us to treasure this place of honor, and so to spurn the foolish honors of this world. Lord, in your mercy. Lord God, our shepherd, sustain the pastors and leaders of your church in their charges. Establish them in your stead and make their life of faith worthy of all honor and imitation, and inspire their hearers to honor you. Lord, in your mercy. O Lord, our God, turn our hearts toward all of creation, over which you have given us dominion to be faithful stewards. Give us wisdom and reverence to use the resources of nature, so that no one may suffer from abuse of them, and that generations yet to come may continue to praise you for your bounty. Lord, in your mercy. God of justice, you exalt the humble and humble the proud in your own appointed time. We commend to you the elected officials of our land, especially our President Joseph and our Governor Richard Michael. Grant them the desire to govern as those serving and give them wisdom and courage to know what is right and to follow it. Lord, in your mercy. O Lord, grant peace and healing according to your will to the sick, the suffering, those who are troubled in mind, those suffering depression, and those with chronic illness and pain, especially Cheryl, Tom, Doug, Tana, Anita, Ray, Amanda, Marilyn, Mike, Nancy, Rose, Tony, Carolyn, and Nancy. Lord, in your mercy. Remembering that here we have no abiding city, but that heaven is our home, give us your aid that we might by true faith and godly life prepare for the coming of our Savior, multiplying your mercy by loving our neighbor in need and loving you with all of our body, mind, soul, and strength. And through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Now the peace of the Lord be with you always.
us pray. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness you have blessed us with these gifts. With them we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that you have made. For the sake of him who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And now gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Now, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen.
go in peace, serve the Lord.